0: How we doing today? All right, y'all can do a little bit better than that. How's everybody doing this morning? We good? I hope you guys have uh, started your pre-holiday workout so you can throw down this week. Uh, Well, good morning. My name is Jason Gaston, whether you're here uh, at the Arden campus or joining us online. uh, It is my honor and privilege to open up God's word uh, with you today. Uh, A couple things for you. If you are a guest, I really do want you to know uh, that we're glad that you're here. Uh, We're glad that you've come in today and uh, joined us in worship. And we hope that as you walked in today that you felt like, man, there's something different about this place, that the hospitality of the people of God was warm and welcoming, and uh, that we're a people that want to set our eyes on Jesus and lift him up, the name above all names. In my right, church? That's right. All right. Uh, Other thing you need to know is uh, at some point this past week, I woke up and I have about 30% hearing in my right ear, and I'm uh, abnormally loud already. So if I'm incredibly loud today, just kind of give me like a thumbs up and just go like this. Just turn it down. Sound good? Can we do that? All right, awesome. Hey, um, you know, I think sometimes we, we, hurry about, uh, we hurry about the next thing, don't we? And, um, and we very seldom take time to pause and to celebrate what the Lord is doing. And so I know that not everything uh, in church life, I know not everything uh, in your walk with Jesus is measurable. Right? There's a lot of growth that's going on in a lot of your groups. There's a lot of growth that's happening, uh, like depth, depth growth, Right? that's happening uh, in your home. Maybe, uh, maybe you're actually going to hear the testimony of somebody at some point this weekend of a father uh, who got to share the gospel with his son and, and you're get to baptize him this weekend uh, at Biltmore Church. There's a lot of things that you can't measure. But there are three things I want to share with you this morning, uh, numerically speaking, that I just want us to celebrate. And we'll do it all at the end here, okay? We have had 100 and se- since August... We have had 172 people that have gone through Starting Point. This is at all of our campuses. We've had 727 first-time guests. And this weekend, we are celebrating our 150th person to go under the water and to believe Christ and walk faithfully with him through baptism. Can we just celebrate what the Lord is doing here? Church, God is... um, He's God... He's in control, and he's on on the move, and uh, I want you to know that you are standing in the midst of the work of God going on here in Western North Carolina. And uh, it's more than just what happens in the building on the weekends, it's, what happening, it's what's happening in your, your school. Students, I'm hearing testimonies of you. I see pictures of you on your campuses sharing the gospel faithfully in front of your peers. I'm hearing stories about the way that you're going into your workplace and man, you're praying for people that you walk side by side with. And, and you guys have been sharing the gospel with the people in your neighborhood and you're walking faithfully with people that are struggling. Billmore Church, the mission of God is not just what's happening within the walls where the church gathers. It's happening through the people of God as the church scatters throughout the week, and you are living out God's mission here in Western North Carolina. So thank you so much for your faithfulness in the way that you love Jesus and love others. If you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews today, chapter 12. We're going to be in the first three verses. So you can go ahead and open them up to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now, Beginning in the 17th century and, uh, and carrying on much throughout the 18th and even early into the 19th century, the American spirit of an, an adventure and exploration was at its height. As, as men and women were saddling up, they were going in and they were exploring parts of our world, our nation as we would one day call it, that is yet to be explored. Places that no Westerner had ever been. It was also known as the American frontier. And it was expanding on the wings, on the backs, on the legs, on the hearts, on the the people who were ambitious. They were people that embodied courage. They were people that embodied risk. Now, one of those early explorers was a man by the name of John Wesley Powell. Now, John Wesley Powell um, loved nature. He loved the created world. Not only did he love nature, not only did he love the things of the world, but he also loved people. And one of his driving passions was to take his love for the created world and his love to teach it to people and combine it in a classroom and one day become a teacher. And one day he would realize that dream and he found himself in this sleepy little corner of America teaching creation to people. Now, news of a civil war was breaking out in 1861, and so Powell heeds the call, he leaves the classroom, and he joins the Union Army, where he becomes a second lieutenant. That's 1861. Just a few months later in 1862, Powell finds himself on the battlefield at the Battle of Shiloh in western Tennessee. Now, as Powell finds himself on the battlefield, he is actually struck in the right forearm with a bullet. And it shatters, literally shatters, every bone in his right arm out. So, a few days later, Powell actually has his right arm amputated. Powell finally gets out of the army, and he's trying to figure out his way in life again. And he hears about all these people that have gone before, and they've explored the great unknown. There was one place, however, that was still a mystery in the American frontier. The Colorado River going through the Grand Canyon. Powell decides that he's going to sign up and he's going to lead the expedition down the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon. It was what many considered to be the last great unknown. So he begins the process of assembling a team. The team would be consisted of 10 Men, a ragtag group from all walks of life, all right? And they would journey down a river in clunky wooden boats. Y'all, we're talking about the 1800s, okay? We're not talking about a guy in the back who's rafted down the river before. He knows every nook and every cranny of the river and this beautiful raft that the team could lift up above their heads. We're talking about thousands of pounds of wood down a river that no one has yet explored. Powell, in his journal... Which would later be turned into a book called Down the Great Unknown, says the following as this group of 10 assemble on the shore and begin their journey down the Colorado River. We are now ready to start our way down the great unknown. We have but a month's rations remaining. The flour has been resifted through the mosquito net. Sounds fun. The spoiled bacon has been dried and the worst of it boiled. A few pounds of dried apples have been spread in the sun. The sugar has all melted and gone its way down the river. But we do have a large sack of coffee, and all of God's people said, amen. There we go. We are now three-quarters of a mile in the depths of the earth. The great river shrinks into insignificance as it dashes its angry waves against the walls and cliffs that rise to the world above. We have an unknown distance yet to run, an unknown river yet to explore. What falls there are, we know not. What rocks beset the channel, we know not. What walls rise over the river, we know not. And then he concludes by saying this. Oh, well. Oh, well. Now rewind uh, a few months earlier before these men assemble and get in the boat and head down the river. Imagine the recruiting pitch from John Wesley Powell. Guys, this is going to be great. All right, here's what's going to happen. They're going to write about you in the history books. Your name's going to be all over every newspaper in our growing nation. And the guys are like, let's go. They're jacked up. They're going to be famous. They're going to be known. And they are ready to embody courage and risk. They are ready to go. It sounds incredible, right? They're like, where do we sign up, John? JWP, we're in it with you, baby. Let's go. Saddle up. We're ready to go. We got a trail to blaze. But then in the moment at the foot of the river, all of that hype sounds so great. It sounds so incredible. They're going to write about you. They're going to talk about you in 2021 from the stage at Billmore Church in the booming metropolis of Arden, North Carolina. And then you find yourselves on the shore, and all of a sudden you hear the Class 5 rapids pounding against the rocks. You see the angry ray- waves rising over the channel, and you start to think to yourself, Hold up, I don't think I signed up for this. Right I'm not sure that I'm really, really ready to, to go into this adventure with you. When you come to the book of Hebrews chapter 12, you actually see the followers of Jesus are in the same place. They were passionately following Christ. They had put their yes on the table, and they had started off strong. They were running with endurance. They were excited about life. But as they started to run their race, they started to drop like flies. Why? Well, because the, the, the followers of Jesus in the book of Hebrews weren't sure what was lying ahead of them. They had been enduring such opposition. They had endured a lot of torture and a lot of pain, and they were being ransacked. They had said no to their former way of life, and they had said yes to this new way of life and following Christ. And guess what? The people from the old way of life were not going easy on them. As they said no to that and they were saying yes to Christ, the people in the no camp were like, you're not getting off that easy, homeboy. We're going to make this really tough on you. And as you begin to read the book of Hebrews, you see that they were, they were facing social hardships. They were having taunting and public affliction. They were facing economic hardships. They had many of their possessions taken from them. They were thrown into prison and mistreated. They even risked death day in and day out. And the pressure was unrelenting. It was not like this, like, hey, this is a one pop, we're going to get you, we're going after you. This was something that was really starting to get to them, and they weren't sure that they could continue. In fact, you, you see it so much that a lot of them weren't even showing up to the gathering of believers, Hebrews chapter 10 tells us. They had forsaken the gathering. They, they were hiding their identity as a follower of Christ so they wouldn't be ridiculed or even thrown in prison or you know, killed. The followers of Jesus were like, yes, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? And then life started getting tough and they thought to themselves, is this really what I signed up for? I wonder if many of us may find ourselves in that same place today. Maybe it's the pain and the hardship of a broken relationship. That's caused you to think, can I keep running? Maybe it's the last two weeks have been, y'all, they've been really good. The messages the last two weeks have been incredible on parenting and marriage. But for some of you that gather, you have this hurt of, man, you're single. And you're not sure that God's ever going to really provide someone to walk in this life with. Or maybe you've experienced the pain of a broken marriage. You've walked through it and you're thinking, I'm not sure I can keep running in that direction. Or maybe you sat in here last week and you heard the stories and you heard the testimony and you heard the encouragement as parents to, to keep fighting the good fight, but you and your spouse are battling infer- infertility, infertility. Maybe you've experienced the death of a child in Man, this has gotten really, really tough. Or maybe you've experienced pain and suffering. Maybe you're enduring it yourself, or maybe you're walking with someone in your life, and it's just getting really, really hard. Or maybe you're a parent, and you got kids, and you showed up today, and you got here with like a minute and seven seconds left to spare, and you're just lucky your kids have pants on. You're like, walking with Jesus was supposed to be easy. It was all like Paul, David, Tripp, uh, like new morning, new mercies, cup of coffee, watching the leaves change out the window, but you're not even sure you have 30 seconds in your day to breathe. And then finally, when you put your kids to bed, you're like, oh, I just want to clunk out on the couch and go to sleep. Yo, life is hard, is it not? Am I preaching to anybody in here today? Life is hard, and it is hard for the follower of Jesus. It's not easy. And that's why the writer of Hebrews is writing to them. He's saying, listen, the race is long. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Stay the course. Endure. Keep your eyes on Christ. Don't give up because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is better than anything else. Amen. Today, as we look at the book of Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to look at a faith that endures. And we're going to look at the key ingredients that God gives us to jump in with the attitude of a, we don't know what lies ahead, but oh well, mentality. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, if you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen for you. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. If you underline things in your Bible, underline that sentence. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For considered him... Who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. Three things I want you to see today about a faith that endures. You want to finish? You want to finish your race? Here's a couple key things to remember today that the writer of Hebrews gives the audience, and I believe he gives to us as well. Number one, you do not run alone. You don't run alone. Therefore, he says, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Now, to get a full picture of this, okay, you got to press rewind. When you see the word therefore, you got to go backwards. You got to press rewind. You got to see why why this is in this place. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to rewind you back to chapter 10 to maybe help you understand how we got to chapter 12, when you go back to chapter 10, you see this summation, okay? The book of Hebrews is walking you through how Jesus is the one that the Old Testament has been pointing to. And when you get here in Hebrews chapter 10, you see this, this, uh, this truth that God had set up in the system for the people of God, a priest that would go in on behalf of the people and make sacrifices for them. But he says in Hebrews chapter 10, their sacrifice could not take away the sins of people. Then he says, so what do you do now? You're stuck. You got this system that's set up that can't fully take away the sins of people. He says, ah, but that's where Jesus enters. Jesus didn't bring a sacrifice with him to the temple. Jesus, the great high priest, was himself the sacrifice who would lay himself down on the altar on your behalf. He is your hope that will take away the sins of all humanity. He's the one who has paved a way. He says this, Because now you have access to the throne room of God through Christ, you can hold with hope unswervingly Did you catch that? You can hold unswervingly to the hope that you profess. And then he ends it in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39, by saying, because of that hope of who we have in Christ before God our Father, he says, we are not like those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are like those who persevere and endure and have faith. Enter Hebrews chapter 11. It's a culmination. It's like the varsity level uh, honor roll, if you will, of all the people, the cloud of witnesses that have gone on before us. Hebrews chapter 11, it's not gonna be on your screen, but he goes through this example after example after example of people by faith who saw God do something incredible. By faith, Noah builds an ark, sounds great, right? He's in the middle of a stinking desert. He was mocked and ridiculed, and then God showed up and showed off. By faith, Abraham leaves his land even though he doesn't know where he's going. By faith, the walls of Jericho fall down. Do y'all remember that story? That God's, God's like plan for the taking down of the walls of Jericho, right? Saddle up with all these great cannons. We're going to shoot them at the wall. That's how it's going down, right? No, we're going to march around it. Sounds fun. And then at the end of all those days, guess what we're going to do? We're going to yell, and when you yell, guess, what, guess what's going to happen, God says. The walls are going to come tumbling down. Yeah, right. I took courage and risk. What middle school boy was the first one to scream at the wall? Somebody along the way walked in faith and believed that God was going to do what he said he would do. By faith, the people leave Egypt and they cross the sea on dry land. By faith, they saw God conquer kingdoms. By faith, they saw God shut the mouths of lions. By faith, they saw the sun stand still. Joshua. By faith, they escaped the fiery furnace. By faith, by faith, by faith, they saw God do the incredible. By the way, I just had lunch about a a couple of weeks ago with the pastor of a smaller church down the mountain as you start to get closer to the South Carolina border, and my heart was stirred by this man's faith. He became a pastor at this church three years ago, and he found out there had not been one single person baptized in their church in the five years prior to his coming. So when he walked into that small country church, he looked in the baptistry, and he said he made it his prayer closet. Every day he would come in, and he would pray in there, and he would pray that God would stir the waters of again. He prayed for five people. God showed up year one, 15 people got baptized. Year two, more got baptized. Year three, in which he's in right now, he's seeing upwards of 60 people say yes to Jesus and walking in faith through baptism. Y'all, listen, here's the crazy thing. That's over half of his congregation. God is doing something incredible, and you can look, and you can see where God is shutting the mouths of lions, and you need to be reminded that God is at work at the mountaintop. He is at work, and you can see him working. Oh, 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 but Hebrews chapter 11 gets into another group of people that we like to leave out. By faith, it says, some were sawn in two. Others were stoned to death. By faith, many were killed by the sword. They wandered aimlessly in the desert. When I read this passage, I think about a kid that I had the beautiful blessing of discipling by the name of Noah Spivey. Noah Spivey, at age 14, was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma a rare form of cancer. And I walked alongside of him and watched this young man fight and fight and fight and fight. And I remember one night his dad sitting in their living room threw his arms around Noah after one of his chemo treatments. And he said, oh Noah, oh Noah, I wish I could trade places with you. And he looked at him like any 16 year old could at that time, blew my mind. He said, dad, if you were to take the place of me, I would never know the things that God wanted to teach me in my suffering. Noah Spivey would one day receive his reward. That young man is a cloud of witness. Why does the writer of Hebrews give you both examples? Those who saw God do something incredible in the mountaintop experience, the thing that we all celebrate, and then those who literally lost their lives because of their faith. Why? Because he's showing you that God is just as present and faithful on the mountaintop as he is in the valley of your pain and your suffering. And he says, because of that, testimony. Don't grow weary. Keep running. God is the same God in all of your success, and he is in the lowest of lows. That's why the psalm says we have a shepherd that walks with us in the valley of the shadow of death. He still upholds you with his righteous right hand. God is, the Bible says, close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. You have a cloud of people that have gone on before us a legacy that says we have run that race and you can run it too. Keep running. But listen, you don't just have a legacy of the past, you have a legacy of the now. You have a people that you run with now. He says this, let us run. That's not singular, is it? Let us run. That means you need people to run with why? Because your eyes are going to start to droop. Your heart will grow faint. You will grow tired and you will grow weary. And you need people to say, not today. I'm walking with you. Eyes on Jesus. Let's keep going. You don't run alone. In my Bible, I, uh, I keep a feather in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. This feather right here, it might be hard for you to see it, but this feather right here was, uh, was from a wood duck that I shot. If you don't like hunting, just tune out for the next 37 seconds, okay? I remember, uh, I remember it pretty vividly. We were calling these ducks in, and we had them coming into the, de- de- the decoys. And at the last minute, two of them just kind of bailed. They said, something's not right here. We're bailing. We're getting out of here. And the whole thing left. But then about a minute and a half later, we got one. One of them to, to come into the deeks, we got one of them to come into our calls, and he landed right in front of me, coming down, pow, cupped up, drained him. I walked out there, ripped all the feathers off of him. Why? Because it's a reminder that when you fly, when you walk, when you run in isolation, you are dead on the water. You need people in your life to remind you, to show you, to tell you, don't run there. It's not worth it. Don't let your heart grow weary. You have a redeemer. Keep running. Run with me. I'll run with you. That's what we do. That's what the body of Christ does. We run together. If you're here today and you're running in isolation, I want to tell you that we've got places for you to jump in maybe it's through a connect group. Y'all, a connect group is not like a this big Bible study. A connect group is supposed to be a place that you're studying the Bible and then also doing life with people. So when you grow weary, you've got people to spur you on towards love and good deeds. You don't run alone. Number 2. How you run matters. How you run matters. Look back at the text. He says, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. He gives you two pictures. There's things in your life that hinder you, and then there's sin that ensnares you. The hindrance may not be sin, but it may be something that's keeping you from running faithfully. And maybe something that's clinging so closely to you that it could easily become sin. Maybe it's a hobby that you have just gone all in with or all in for, and you've neglected your time with the Lord because of it. I don't know what that is, but there's a hindrance. But then there's the sin that so easily ensnares you. Do you know what a snare is meant for? Your destruction. A snare is not kind. It grabs a hold of its prey, and it's, its goal is to not let you go until the predator shows up and destroys its prey. There is sin in our life that is ensnaring you, and it is destroying us. It's literally killing your affection for Jesus. It's killing our affection for Jesus. It's killing our desire to be with the body. And it is doing just what it was designed to do, to destroy you. He says it's an added weight as you run. Now, imagine that you just turn on the TV. I see all these marathons going on. Imagine you flip on the television, right? And you see you're watching the Boston Marathon. You're like, this is the best of the best of the best. Runners, here they go. And you see a guy, right? You see a guy come up to the line, guy, girl, doesn't matter, and they got a 60 pound uh, vest on. You're thinking one of two things. They're CrossFitters and they're at the wrong race. Or two, there's no shot they finish. No shot that they finish. See, some of us have kept that sin so closely and it's weighing you down. God says, you have to flee it. You have to run from it. You have to throw it off so that you can run. You can feel the freedom that I give you as you walk in this world with your eyes on me. You can feel that you were created to run and to run in that direction. But that sin, that sin is holding you back. A, a faith that endures is a faith that is full of repentance, A faith that endures is a faith that is full of repentance. It's shedding weight every single day. The Christian life is a cycle of confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. When we hear those two phrases, oftentimes we think it's a negative thing. But the Bible tells us that it's God's kindness towards us that leads us to repentance. Why? So it doesn't keep us in the snare. But that's so you can walk, no, run in that direction to which he has called you. Listen, the key here is not that you run your life, that you run your race perfectly. It's that you run it faithfully. You're not going to run the race perfectly. Plain and simple. We live in a fallen world. Our hearts cling to things other than Christ. You're not going to run it perfectly. But can you run it faithfully? Yes. Yes. The book of Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16 says this, Though a righteous person falls seven times, he will get up, but the wicked will stumble into ruin. I remember hearing this illustration for the first time. I thought, oh my gosh, that's exactly what we're called to be. Imagine you're following somebody who's fallen seven times. Okay, you're walking behind them. They fall flat on their face. and You're like, oh man, I hope they're okay. And then they get back up. You're like, okay, they're fine. And then they start walking, and about 20 steps later, what happens? They fall again. You're like, oh, oh, gosh. And then the third time they start walking, they fall. All of a sudden, you're getting out your phone. You're like, this is going on Instagram stories. And then they get back up again, and they they fall again four times. They fall again for a fifth time. And then they get on the escalator to go up to the stairs in the mall. And as they're getting off the escalator again, they start walking. They fall a sixth time. And then they fall a seventh time. All of a sudden, you're on the phone calling emergency services because you think that person is not right. That is the picture of the Christian. Not that you don't fall, but that you will fall, and when you fall, you will get back up again, and you will keep on running your race. You will keep going. Though you fall, you will get back up because, number three, you have a prize that awaits you. The writer of Hebrews says to fix your focus on the prize, or maybe a better way of saying it is this, where you run, where you run matters. Where you run matters. You can't hit what you can't see. Let us run with endurance, he says, the race that lies before us. And keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, verse 3, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you don't grow weary and give up. Do not miss this, okay? Do not miss this. This is so crucial because if you only hear the first two things, you just get religiosity, a doing. you got to get the, the third point to really get the gospel. This is so crucial. The validation of your faith is not the energy in which you run, It is the object that you run towards. The validation of your faith is not the energy and effort that you put forth in running that race. It is the object or the person to whom you run. We become, one theologian said, we become what we behold. And let's be honest if you're anything like me, you know we behold a lot of junk. I mean, like, I literally just got a a screen time report before I walked up on this stage. It told me that my time was down by like an hour and 10 minutes this week in front of my little rectangle of doom, is what my family calls it. A whopping four hours and 44 minutes. And when I look at that phone constantly, that glow changes me. It sets off some sort of like chemical inside of my body, some endorphin. that says, I want more, I want more, and I want more, and it changes me for the worse. I begin to throw my weight into it, my hope into it, my identity into it. I worship it. Now, one theologian says this, that worship is the natural reflex of the human heart. You're hardwired for it. You're gonna worship someone or something it's natural to you. You will throw your hope. You will throw your weight somewhere. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, do not be swayed. Hold unswervingly to the hope that you profess because you have one who has run the race before you. Yeah, we got a lot of witnesses that have been before us, but we got one who walked the same path. And his name is Jesus. God says, Jesus, Jesus, He's the only one that your heavenly Father has said, your best version of you is found when your eyes are fixed on him. I have given you every tool, everything that you need in your belt. I've given you my word. I've given you my spirit so that you can walk even in the midst of the chaos. You can walk. You can run on the mountaintop and you can run to him in the valley. He is our prize. Look towards Jesus. Eyes on Jesus, EOJ. I'm going to close with this, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Did you catch that? The pioneer. Meaning, he started the work in you, and guess what? He's going to finish it. He's the one that went down that river ahead of you. He started it. Even when you didn't know it was starting, Kathy Van Osdale, 7th grade, my teacher in middle school, prayed over my chair every single day. I had no clue. I had no clue that the Lord was stirring in people's hearts around me to see my heart transformed by the glory of God until one day when I said yes to Jesus and my youth pastor said, you need to go talk to Kathy Van Osdale. I was like, my teacher? He said, go talk to her. I go tell her that I gave my life to Christ. She weeps. Why? Why? Because she had been praying over my chair every single day before I got in the classroom. God had started that work in me before I even knew it. If he is the one that started it, surely he will perfect it. Surely he will perfect it. Why? Jesus, it says that for the joy that was set before him. The joy. What was the joy? What was the joy before Jesus? Was it the cross? Are you kidding me? Deuteronomy 21 tells us that cursed is the one who hangs on the cross. There's no joy in the cross. There's no joy in the pain. There's no joy in the suffering. The joy is what those things bring about. The joy that was before Jesus was you. You are his joy. You are what he endured the cross for. You are why he he endured the scorn, the scorning from sinful man. You are the one that he ran up that hill and died on the cross and went into the grave. And because he wanted to draw you back to the Father, he kicked death in the teeth and now he's raised at the right hand of the throne of God where he sits enthroned forever. Christian, eyes on Jesus. You can run to him. You can run to him. Do you feel unworthy? Look to Jesus. Are you tired and weary? I am. Just being honest, I'm I'm tired. The counsel that the writer of Hebrews gives to me is to keep running. Look to Jesus. Are you frustrated and angry? Look to Jesus. As we look to Jesus, we have one that endured faithfully to the end. As we look to Jesus, we have a person that we become more like as we walk in his ways. We need a people to run with. We need people to to call out the things in our lives that we can't see so we can run this race faithfully to the end. He's good. Today, as we close our time, maybe, maybe you just need to come to the altar and pray. Maybe you need to cast your eyes on him. You can do that during our last song. The altar is always open. You can come and spend time in prayer before the Lord. As we close our time together, I'm going to just read you these words from one of my favorite old hymns. It says, Oh soul, are you wearied and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior, a life more abundant and free. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. You know it. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of glory.